Um, if you are alive, and I guess that's most of us, Jesus has unfinished business with you. You might have been a Christian for 30, 40, 50 years. You might be a hardened non-Christian. If you are alive, Jesus has unfinished business. If you are not yet a Christian, the unfinished business of Jesus is that you hear him as he says to you, the time has come, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is upon you, repent and believe. So that's the call to you, the unfinished business if you're not yet a Christian. Stop the direction in which you're heading. Chuck a yui, as we say, and head back towards God and put your trust in Jesus instead of in other things. So that's if you're not yet a Christian. Okay, most of us here are Christians. You might be 20, 30, whatever, years ago, 20 days ago you became a Christian. You might think, I'm there, I've arrived. No, no. If you are a Christian, Jesus also has unfinished business with you. For he doesn't just say, repent and believe, our conversion, but he says, follow me. And the word he used has got the sense of follow me, keep following me. Uh, follow me when you're on social media later today. Follow me when you're choosing what to watch on Netflix. Follow me when you get into the bedroom tonight. Follow me when you get to work tomorrow. Follow me 24-7, 365. Not just follow me, says Jesus, but I want you to serve me. The language he uses is I'll make you fishers of men. He wants those of us who are Christians to not only follow him, he wants us to help other people hear the message and do the same thing. So, Jesus has unfinished business with every one of us that's here today. Um, it's a pretty big job, isn't it? That repentant believe in Jesus, that's not something we can do by ourselves, we need God's help. Follow Jesus 24-7, 365. I've been a Christian for 40, 50 years or something. I certainly can't do that by myself. And as for helping other people quit their rebellion and put their trust in Jesus instead of themselves, I mean, that's ridiculous. You and I can fly to the moon before we can do that, can't we? It's mission impossible. Fortunately, Jesus not only tells us what the unfinished business is, Jesus is there to help us in that. The Bible speaks to us of how Jesus came to our world, lived the life we were always meant to live, died as a sacrifice to pay for our guilt before God, rose again, but it doesn't stop there for it tells us about the things that Jesus continues to do. And in particular, Jesus says, I will be with you until the end of the age. So whether you're someone still at the stage of repentance and faith, whether you're someone struggling to follow Jesus in those hard areas of your life, whether you're someone who seeks to serve Jesus by helping others become followers, the promise is... I will be with you to the end. Jesus does that by sending his Holy Spirit that he promised to send to kind of replace him and be God's helper. But Jesus himself continues to be busy. And the Bible tells us that he holds the whole creation together. Colossians 1.17. You know, the, the kind of movement of the galaxies that we don't even know about. Jesus holds that together. 
every breath you take. At the other end of the spectrum, that's because Jesus keeps your body functioning the way it should. So Jesus, the whole creation depends upon Jesus being there to hold it together. And not only that, Jesus, we're told, here's the one on the throne. Here's the one on the control tower over the whole of human history, which is wonderfully reassuring. The Bible also tells us, and this is where I want to go today, that Jesus is still our priest. Now, when we talk about Jesus as priest, we think of his sacrifice on the cross, where he made the only payment needed for our sin forgiveness. Great work, Jesus. That is his key priestly work. But it's not the end of Jesus as our priest, as we're going to see today. Okay, I want to think about friends for a moment. I'm going to use that to talk about Jesus as a priest. Um, have you got friends? I've got some real friends, as well as a whole lot of people on Facebook. I even know some of my friends on Facebook. One mark of a friend is that a friend is someone who makes themselves available to help you when you're in a tight spot. A friend is someone you feel you can ring them up and say, look, I've got a problem, I think you can help me. But sometimes our friends let us down. I mean, they mean really well, but in fact, they were, your friend was about to call you and ask you to help with the problem. So sometimes our friends, even our best friends, will let us down. Not like that with Jesus. The Bible tells us that when we repent and put our trust in Jesus, he becomes our friend. There's an old Christian song, what a friend we have in Jesus. And the Bible tells us, James chapter 2, when Abraham trusted God, God became Abraham's friend. And exactly the same applies to each one of us. So Jesus, if you like, is our priest friend. Right, I'm going to give you the summary now of the whole sermon. So if you're going to tune out, just stay with me for about 30 seconds and get the summary, and then you can come back in later. Key teaching point. Jesus is the friend, our priest friend, in high places who can help us, who gets us, and who's sympathetic. That's the key teaching point. Our friend in high places who gets us and is sympathetic. And the key application for us today, it's pretty simple, stick with a great friend like that. Okay, let's go to the idea of Jesus as a friend in high places. Hebrews chapter 4 in verse 14 talks about Jesus as the priest who's gone through the heavens and is seated at the right hand of God. I want to play with that imagery for a bit. Jesus, gone through the heavens, and is seated at the right hand of God. Uh, the book of Hebrews says a lot about priests, because it's written to people who've got a background in the Jewish religion. And they knew all about priests, and sacrifices, and altars, and offerings, and the rest of it. Only their priests and sacrifices and altars and offerings were all on earth. And that's the point of the second part of the reading we had earlier from the end of Hebrews 7, the beginning of Hebrews 8, that the old priests served at an earthly sanctuary and they were pretty defective priests anyway. And so they kind of do their thing in temples on earth, hoping that God up there, will, they can catch God's eye and God will listen and help people and intercede for them. 
The Scriptures tell us that by contrast, Jesus is the priest who made a sacrifice at the heavenly altar and again is now seated at the Father's right hand. Um, That's a friend in high places. Sometimes during my life, I've had friends in high places and I guess here in Canberra, you know the business of you know someone who knows someone who knows one and you kind of get cued off off all of that, don't you? Um, Jesus is the ultimate friend in high places. There's no higher place than seated at the right hand of God. Just think about that. You, if you're a Christian person, you've got a friend, a priest friend, he's got God's ear. And he talks to God on your behalf when you pray in his name and within his will as revealed in Scripture. You've got that friend. You've got the friend in the control room, not of Canberra, not of Australia, not of the world, not of our galaxy. You've got the friend who sits at the right hand of one who is over everything that exists, full stop. And your priest friend is seated there next to him. Uh, That's a friend you want to keep, isn't it? Friend in high places? You keep that friend and that is the application that is made in the passage where we are told at the end of verse 14, since we've got the great high priest who's gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. We're reading from the book of Hebrews today. book of Hebrews, let me tell you about it. It's not a book we read very often because it's got all this Jewish stuff in it that most of us find hard to relate to. I'm reading Hebrews through slowly at the moment for my daily devotions. And I think this is a wonderful, warm, pastoral letter from God who understands us and knows what we need to hear. Hebrews is not a book that scolds us. Do this, do that, you should do this. Uh, don't you hate it when people have got a, someone else has got a wonderful plan for your life? Book of Hebrews is a book full of encouragement and the big encouragement is for us to hang in with Jesus. Book of Hebrews is written to people like many of us here, people who've been Christians for some time. And let's face it, sometimes it's pretty tiring, unrewarding, and you feel like giving up as a Christian. I mean, Sunday morning, coming out at eight o'clock to set up chairs and morning tea and going over there to do the kids' ministry when your friends are playing golf or going for brunch or just having a sleep in or a swim. It just gets tiring. And then this week, when there are things you, you know you've got to say no to because you follow Jesus, you just get tired of that. I mean, your friends do these things and they don't seem to suffer. And then the, the things that you say yes to as a Christian, investing time with people who are not especially lovable, giving some of your energy, some of your money, it gets weary following and serving Jesus. book of Hebrews is written to people like that. And the big purpose of this book is to encourage us to hang in with Jesus. It does that in two ways. It tells us what happens if we cease to hang in with Jesus, we lose all the benefits of having that friend in high places. So it gives us a warning, if we give up on Jesus, what we're giving up is going to be terrible for us. 
But then the book of Hebrews far more gives us the encouragement. It just tells us again and again what a lovely, wonderful Saviour and Lord we have in Jesus. It reminds us of how much He's done for us and continues to do and will do. And that's the big motivation to keep following Jesus. Just think for a moment about what He's done for you. You've got to work to maintain a friendship with anyone, don't you? And you've got to work to maintain your friendship with Jesus. And the danger is that if you do nothing, you might just kind of, your grip weakens, you let go of that friendship without noticing it, you drift away from Jesus, you stop reading your Bible, stop praying, you, you say yes to some of those temptations. The danger is drift until one day you find that Jesus is no longer your friend. The book of Hebrews is there to say to us, Look at what he's done for you. Hang in. Can you see yourself in that? Maybe there's some of us here today, you're you're just hanging in by faith. Your grip is becoming weaker. If that's you, hear the positive message that's here in Hebrews 4. In Jesus, you've got the ongoing priest friend in high places. He not only went to the cross to make atonement for your forgiveness but he is now sitting at the Father's side at the centre of the whole world and he is whispering to the Father on your behalf. Um, Every now and then I go through my Facebook friends, I've got several hundred, I'm not quite sure how many, and every now and then I just get cranky and I go through and I unfriend a whole lot of people. Um, If you were my friend and haven't heard from me for a while, I'm sorry, maybe you got caught up in the latest cull. Don't ever unfriend the Lord Jesus. Don't ever unfriend him. The consequence is so great. And the benefit of having that friend in high places is just so great. So, first thing, Jesus is the friend in high places. Stick with him. The next thing we see in this very short passage is that Jesus is not only the friend in high places, but he is the friend who gets us and who's sympathetic and can help us. And that comes out in verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. I want to unpack that before I draw the implication. In the Christian faith, we hold to a doctrine we call the Incarnation. That's just a big theological word for saying that Jesus became one of us. His toenails needed clipping, he needed to shave his beard, he got body odour. Jesus became fully one of us. We're told he emptied himself of the heavenly privileges and he became truly human. And that means that Jesus lived with the same things that you and I go If he hadn't eaten for a few hours, he's going to get hungry. If he hasn't drunk, he's going to get thirsty, he's going to get tired, he's going to feel lonely, he's going to feel the pressure of unending expectations. And we are told here that Jesus lived with our experience of temptation and he could have chosen to sin. He lived with our experience of temptation and he could have chosen to sin. The temptations that came to Jesus were as the real as the ones that come to you and I. Um, There's all kinds of reasons why Jesus might have fled the cross, and we know the night before he was arrested, that the pressure on him to run away was just so great that, you know, he's sweating 
in the agony of his prayers to God, and he sweats like blood. Again, at the beginning of his ministry, 40 days in the wilderness, he's tempted to take shortcuts, turn stone into bread. You can do that, Jesus. You can have the kingdom of God in a moment. Jesus was tempted. He knows our experience of temptation. Now, when it says Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are, we need to clarify that, there are some temptations Jesus did not experience. If you're a woman, you've got temptations that are unique to you as a woman. I don't have them as a man, and Jesus did not have your temptations as a woman. I'm 67. I have temptations that Jesus did not have because as far as we can work out, he died when he was about 33. So Jesus has not experienced every temptation that comes to us. The point is, though, he was tempted at every point of who he was. And indeed, more so than the rest of us. Don't know about you, but I find this experience in my life, that there are certain temptations to which I am frequently prone. Um, The devil pokes around in our lives and he finds where the weak spots are. Don't know about you, but my weak spots tend to be the same yesterday, today, and I guess I'll continue to live with some of them for the rest of my life. What are your weak spots? Is it pride? Is it greed? Is it fear? Is it lust? Is it cowardice? Is it envy? You're going to have the same weak spot again and again, aren't you? And when the devil wants to pull you and I down, he just kind of goes up to the the pride door and he just gives a little nudge with his little finger and the door swings open and he's into our lives. He doesn't have to work very hard. It's not like that with Jesus. The evil one had to keep prodding at every little door, every aspect of who Jesus was, and he never found a door he could get in. So Jesus is constantly tempted at every point. Jesus has got a lifelong barrage in a way that we don't. We sometimes feel we're so alone before temptation and that no one understands. Hear what this scripture is saying you're not alone. Have you been tempted to take a bad shortcut to a good goal? Jesus had that one. Have you been tempted to put your will ahead of God's will? Oh, so often we say. Jesus had that one too. Have you been tempted to put selfish attention to your own needs before the needs of other people and just to say to others, go away, leave me alone? Jesus knows that one. Temptation to lust? I guess Jesus had that one too. Get the point? What an encouragement it is. The one, our friend in high places, our priest friend, who sits next to the Father and whispers in the ear on our behalf, he knows your human condition inside out and he's sympathetic. As someone has said in our temptations, Christians can be comforted with the truth that nothing that entices us is foreign to our Lord. He too has felt the tug of sin and he never gave in. So what an encouragement, our priest friend in high places who understands what it is to be tempted, but the really good news next in the verse is that he was without sin. He's tempted, he knows temptation, but he doesn't know sin. And that's why he could be the priest who went to the cross 
on our behalf. As the writer of Hebrews says, the old earthly priests in the temple, the first thing they had to do when they went to church was make a sacrifice for themselves. And depending on the sins, there might be a half day of sacrifices for their own sins before they can think about anyone else. Not so with Jesus. He makes the perfect one-for-all, once-for-all sacrifice because he doesn't have to do it for himself. So let me summarise. Jesus is the friend in high places who sympathetically understands and who's able to help us and that's why he is called a great high priest. Verse 16 draws the implication for us. Let us then, this is for you, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I said before the book of Hebrews is an encouraging book and he is one of the best. In our times of need and temptation and testing, we can approach heaven's throne and know that our priest friend is there and he's got our back and he's on our side and he can and he will help us. The helper and the helper there for the asking, so let's ask and ask with confidence. We need never worry that Jesus won't understand and won't be able to help us or know how to help us. So let me remind you of where we've gone today. We've seen that Jesus is still at work for us. He not only rules the universe, he holds everything together, every breath we take, but he's our friend in heaven who understands you, who cares for you, and who's there for you. I reckon that's a friend to keep.